0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Environmental Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Muhammad din the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Jana Komens about her new book, Community, Urban Health, and Environment in the Late Medieval Low Countries. Dr. Jana Komens is Assistant Professor at the Department of Medieval History, Utrecht University. She defended her dissertation, uh, cum laude, at the University of Amsterdam in 2018, and it was published in 2021 uh, as Community Health and Environment in the Late Medieval Low Countries. Her research explores practices of various agents to promote communal well-being in pre-modern societies. She was part of the ERC-funded interdisciplinary project, Healthscaping Urban Europe, and currently works on her Veni uh, Dutch Research Council project, Inflammable Cities, How Fire Risk Transformed the Low Countries, 1250 to 1600. Dr. Jana Komens, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Hi.
0: It's so good to have you. Uh, and uh, Jana, I was wondering if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself that is where you were born, raised, where you went to school, how you became interested in urban medical and environmental history, and whether you had a mentor or a scholarly work that drove your interest
1: yeah thanks i uh, I'm born in, in Utrecht actually so uh, my my most recent job is a sort of returning to that city uh And grew up there, and then I wanted to study in a larger city, and there is only a few more larger cities, and one of them is Amsterdam. So I ended up there. This is not a very intellectually uh, motivated decision. Uh, But uh, I did really enjoy uh, studying history and uh, philosophy at the University of Amsterdam. And uh, for a while, followed many, many different types of courses, mostly on more recent history uh, but in the course of my master's, I began to be more interested in the late medieval era. For all I thought that was it was too hard to to study medieval history because you had all these skills um, uh, you had to have, such as uh, the paleography and the Latin. But after a while, I, I started to get into it. And there was one course, and actually it's still, I think, up to date, the only course on uh, pre-modern public health that was given... Uh, during my master's by Guy Geltner. And uh, I followed that course and got very enthusiastic uh, and decided to apply for a PhD project on uh, medieval bathing culture and uh, bathhouses. Uh, And, um, uh, no, no, sorry, so so that was my master's. And then during that, my PhD project uh, was much broader and just uh, basically uh, asked... Uh, in a very broad way what cities in the medieval period and especially the low countries did to uh, prevent disease and promote health. And so a uh, guy who was the first uh, uh, one introducing me to it has, uh, I think, up to now been uh, very influential and, and very encouraging for me to work with because um, after my PhD, I did a postdoc in a project that was uh for each, for which he was the, the PI uh, and I'm currently doing an edited volume on public health in the pre-modern world so a more global approach uh, where he also joins. So if there's one person that really should be mentioned, uh, it's him uh, and and in this project uh, that I've been part of as a postdoc for the past few years, uh, yeah there are also quite a few other people uh, with whom I've worked quite intensively. Uh, so Claire Veda and Lea Hermeneau are two important ones
0: as well. Very good. And I, I know Guy Guttner work worked very well in uh, uh, his work in the hellscape, and I can see its influence on, uh, on your text. Uh, so that's, that's fascinating to know that you uh, studied with him. Um, so my second question is, how did you come to write community urban health and environment in the late medieval low countries?
1: um uh that's a very big question um so yeah i i was from the as i just mentioned earlier from the beginning very interested in a in a quite general question on, on how did cities or urban society uh prevent disease and uh, promote say public hygiene and um i uh uh started looking for for sources which is very tricky because it uh at this uh during this period there's no at least not for the low countries there's no separate offices uh either on an urban or sort of proto-national level that dealt with what we now call public health um so you really have to dig into local archives uh and uh find information in very various type of sources So um, when I started doing that, the, uh, one of the most obvious uh, starting points were the many regulations, which you can basically find in any city uh, on public hygiene and, for instance, also on uh, food quality uh, and several other topics. So, based on what I found in terms of what people at the time regulated and also in which they invested. Uh, money such as street paving or cleaners. Uh, so based on, on just what I found in the archives, I developed the idea that that health or communal health could be divided into four sort of general programs. And these four programs have been very or have helped me structure my book. Um, Maybe I should, (laughs) I don't know, tell them right away,
0: what they are. (laughs) Yeah, why don't you, uh, could you tell us what those, uh, for the reader, uh, for the listeners, uh, what those four are?
1: Yes, sure, sure. Uh, So so these four programs, uh, to summarize them very briefly, I think the first important one uh, for for pre-modern cities is, is to have uh, investment and care for infrastructures, so both water and uh, roads or uh, land infrastructures. Uh, secondly, uh, really any city uh, did n- not necessarily centralise waste collection but did coordinate it, especially larger ones but also smaller ones just had some intervention with how waste was processed, um, and thirdly, uh, very important for for health and also uh, very important in medical ideas is is food and diet. So this you also see reflected in in many ways in uh, in medieval cities, and finally, and this is maybe where public health diverges. Most explicitly from from modern ideas is that there's a very close connection between uh, spiritual health and physical health. So to really understand a pre-modern uh, vision of group health, you have to take that into account.
0: Very good. Thank you for that. Uh, and, and so we'll come back to some of these points uh, through yeah. the questions. Uh, but first. Uh, Jana I was hoping you could paint a picture for our listeners about the natural environment and urban settlement that make up the landscape of your case study in the low Countries
1: yes uh, of course it is quite a peculiar region in this uh, period or maybe and still is uh, environmentally because it's very wet and it's it's basically uh, uh, surrounded or ba- uh, On how do you say it, founded on uh, three major river deltas. So any larger city is connected to these riverways, which are extremely important for the supply for basically everything a city needs, some food and fuel uh, to to trade. Um, But being so intertwined with the water landscape also comes with specific challenges and that you see very clearly in... um, how uh, in how local societies uh, sort of try to mitigate their environment so waterworks have been extremely important um, and uh, there's also quite uh, as people know it's a very flat uh, region so there's not many uh, mountains or um, or other yeah sort of cha- large changes in in uh, in the, uh, le- the level of the land. So uh, that just, that gives opportunities, but it's also, um, and these opportunities are partly connected to the water landscape. So there's a lot of, from very early on, say, even the early Middle Ages, there's a manipulation of the landscape, uh, mainly by manipulating water, um, but it also um, creates a sort of continuous interaction with the landscape in that sense.
0: That's very uh, true, and water plays a huge part um, in the development of these urban centers, as you've uh, uh, discussed. Uh, so the next question, your research uses a unique interdisciplinary methodology that ties in the environmental, the medical infrastructure, both freshwater and sewerage, and the spatial Specifically, you expand on the work around biopolitics. Could you tell uh, the listeners about your theoretical framework?
1: Yes, um, I'll, I'll try to be as clear as about it as possible because it is a, a combination or kind of an uh, alternative take also on uh, on a few of these uh, key theoretical concepts. And I think, indeed, biopolitics is one of the, the most important ones. So biopolitics, as some listeners may know, is a term that has been, it already exists, but it's made famous by Michel Foucault, a philosopher. And, to, and it means slightly different things for different scholars, but generally it's about the idea that knowledge on, on health, on population in various ways and on the environment is being integrated into the governance of, uh, of people. And that is usually taken to be national states, but, and this is where my uh, interpretation diverges from uh, common uh, uh, sort of consensus, uh, you don't really need a national state or modern techniques of monitoring health, such as statistics or uh, modern medicine, to have... uh, um, to, to use that basic idea that, that the health of a population is part of the government, the governance of that population. So you can basically have biopolitics at any level, so from the very small local scale to the large national or empire scale. But on all these scales, uh, biopolitics is negotiated by different actors. And there is always a connection between what, uh, between the social and the political, and between the spatial and environmental. So uh, that is very essential. So, if you want to understand something uh, as complex as as public health, and I think this is also getting more and more important again, uh, as we've seen uh, during the COVID epidemic, that health is really about. interaction between environment between what uh the the daily routines of of people uh um, uh, how we use space and medical ideas and of course the relation between people and their governments and their willingness to obey to any regulations so yeah so i think we uh, we've seen many many biopolitical interventions ourselves during the epidemic so that maybe make a, a little bit easier to imagine that biopolitics also existed in a different form, but in fairly similar ways uh, many centuries ago.
0: That's very true. Thank you for that. Uh, You say in the introduction, waste management offers a window to investigate cities as a dynamic metabolic ecosystem. How is this so? And could you explain this for our listeners?
1: Yeah, so... um, Every society produces waste. Uh, of course, uh, pre-modern societies have different and arguably much less waste production. Uh, they're they're much more circular in their waste production uh, than than most Euro-American countries today. Uh, but nevertheless, do you always there's always a metabolism of what a society uses or extracts from their environment and how and it what it gives back in terms of, of waste and um, uh, things pollutants uh, also in to that environment so and you can under um, investigate that uh, uh, for for basically any society as long as you have some uh, and also uh, to you can investigate that on various levels so here uh, archaeology of course uh, plays a, an important role and there's a much to learn, even if you don't have any written sources, uh, but um, uh, if you do have a combination of sort of material evidence and written sources, it's clear that um, that there is a metabolism uh, you can call it a met- an urban metabolism. So there's uh, there's sort of a circulation of of, um, of matter in cities, and that people try to uh, manipulate that circulation, and that that is very key to uh, uh environmental politics and also to uh, uh, communal health
0: and I guess building on this how does uh, your work cross the what you call conceptual divides that you describe that tend to separate uh, animals disease and humans
1: yeah yeah it is it is something that I've become more and more interested in to also look from from uh, like non human so more environmental, but also animal perspective on the on, um, in my work, uh, and it's very uh, pertinent because it's it's clear that that pre-modern cities were very uh, uh, well multi-species conglomerates, so to say. So there were many um, uh, animals uh, in place, um, and some of them. Uh, were clearly appreciated, but also caused nuisance. And I think pigs and pig keeping is the most obvious example of that. So uh, almost um, all households uh, had a one or two uh, pigs that they uh, that they fed and uh, uh, slaughtered when they needed the, uh, the meat. Uh, but uh, so many pigs in the cities also caused nuisances um, and stench, and also they uh, wrecked uh, roads or uh, neighbors' orchards. So you see a lot of regulations about this. Uh, but this coexistence between um, between animals and humans and and uh, in co- or in interaction with their natural environments or urban natural environments, if you may say so, uh, that is. Uh, If you start looking for it, uh, there's actually quite much to be uh, discovered, or it's quite clear that they're highly aware of uh, both environmental factors and also the needs and challenges of of animals within society.
0: That's fascinating, because you see that over and over in different urban environments where animals are regulated to the outskirts or from, uh, from the in, uh, interior of urban city uh, sites um, or from uh, the interiors of domestic environments and, and pushed to the uh, outside the, the city uh, city limits uh, yeah. as part of like hygienic projects.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, so animals in uh, disease in uh, this interaction with humans is a very fascinating way of looking at uh, uh, at the urban environment, and, and I, I appreciate that the work that you've done here uh, towards that. Uh, as readers will uh, see in a number of chapters,
1: and, and- maybe uh, maybe to 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 build on that, uh, if we talk about animal disease, uh, of course there's this the the very famous and very influential idea that. Uh, so one of 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 course one of the most prevalent diseases in the late medieval period is a bubonic plague. So uh, the Black Death is the most uh, uh, lethal epidemic in the mid 14th century, um, and the the main idea or the main consensus now is that these uh, this is a bacteria that's. Um, uh, it's is uh, or how do you say that located or it uh, on fleas and these fleas are being transported so to say by rats so a lot of attention by scholars in the past decades have been on animals and specifically these rats um, but if you compare that with um, the perception uh, people at the time had uh, that they are not, at all, really interested in rats, but they did have they did uh, connected disease threat with many different things. But one was uh, with certain animals, namely stray dogs. So you see that in the city, and of course, this is also uh, not entirely surprising because these dogs were a nuisance and so, sort of sociopolitically problematic in different ways as well. But you see that once uh, cities uh, develop a sort of standard um, uh, m- collection of measures against plague. That killing stray dogs is one of these measures that you see recurring in many cities. Uh, so they did they did make that sort of animal human connection in disease as well.
0: Right, but in a very different way. And very that's different, fascinating. Yeah. My next question is about flows. Um, throughout the majority of your text, you highlight the centrality of flows and either it's impediment for physical barriers or a need uh, for smooth movement of air, water, urban space peoples, and other areas. Additionally, this is very much connected to Galenism and uh, the humors. Could you expand on the connections in these medieval cities and Galen between them, the city?, yes. and Galenism and flow?
1: Yeah, yeah, because it sounds like things that are quite far apart, uh, but but actually, uh, in reality, yeah, it's quite connected. Um, so, if you talk about pre-Bunder uh, pre-modern ideas about health, um, that is a very a very fascinating mix of uh, ideas from antiquity. Uh, so, um, and Galen is one of the most influential. Um, uh, part of that, that uh, that is mixed with Arabic ideas and then Christian ones. Uh, and this collection of, of ideas on, on really how the, the world works and uh, how uh, basically, it's, it's basically just a theory about the cosmos um, that, uh, really benefit, uh, that really benefits, that really yeah, how do you say that? It's really organic in its in its approach to both uh, the environment, but also uh, humans uh, and animals, but also society. So the idea um, and health in for all these different levels and for all these different entities is basically a balance um, that is not static, but that is. Um, being uh uh, maintained by by flow and by circulation so in order to have a healthy body you have to have a body that in which there's no blockage in which everything flows or is circulated um uh, healthily and uh, that uh, so you think about the food and drinks and excre- uh, various forms of expression uh, but also for a society health and healthy society is and this is a very organic metaphor is a society in which uh, which has a sort of dynamic balance in which everything flows so there's no blockage uh, and for instance stagnant water or blockage created by waste are very much a concern so here you see uh, that um, medical thought in a very broad sense informs thinking about health on various levels.
0: no that's very true and it it, it also trickles down um, as we'll discuss to even the individual where they yeah. ingest this these these concepts and and bring it into their own imaginary about what is healthy uh, for their own domestic and, and uh, uh, environments. And uh, when you discuss like uh, latrines and its placement yeah. between neighbors, um, this idea of the neighbor uh, or good neighbor. Uh, so, uh, and also thinking about the interesting intersections with uh, pre, like a existing medical, uh, theories uh globally uh, which is fascinating that all of these theories can intersect here in the low countries uh, mm-hmm. and, and 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 trickle down to even the uh, the lowest individual
1: yeah no it is it's really fascinating it was also uh one of the main challenges because yeah it, it's hard sometimes to to locate or really prove that they that people uh, in a certain neighborhood or in a certain city had access or actually were aware of these quite um, yeah elite theories but in in various ways in, in ways of of um, prescribing uh, health or um, pres- uh, especially describing problems uh, you do see these ideas on flow but also on the dangers of stench uh, and really see them in local archival sources reflected. So that was really one of the, yeah, nice discoveries to make, that it is actually uh, quite coherent and uh, to, um, yeah, to see to yeah. see all these connections, so to say.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, to, the next question I had, um, in great detail you describe uh, the various individuals, regulations, and uh, governances that worked in tandem to produce uh, a hygienic city. But- For example, how did the market inspectors' duties differ based on location and regulation and attention paid to hygiene in that urban uh, context? And how did all these institutions help create an imaginary around hygiene? And one way that we will see play out uh Uh, one way that we will see this play out is between uh, individuals on the domestic level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess, yeah, these, these, these are two uh, quite nice examples. So uh, you can, I'll try to discuss them both. So if you look at markets and so food markets, um, they have, uh, uh, how do you say it? So these food markets are usually centralized in one space. And one of the reasons that they centralize is uh, it is to, it's, it's obviously sociopolitical. So there's a certain group with certain privileges that gets to sell, for instance, meat or raw meat in a nice building. Uh, but it also helps to uh, to check or to um, supervise the quality of uh, meat that's being sold there and here, these market inspectors um, uh, is an office that you can find in many many cities uh, in the Low Countries and elsewhere, and you see that these market inspectors, uh, for instance, for meat, have a very clear idea on how um, on on how do you say that on on disease risks and also how long a uh, uh, meat stays well, and they usually have different limits of time for the summer and the winter. So here you really see medical uh, ideas um, applied to a very concrete uh, context. And also, um, they usually inspect the animals uh, uh, beforehand. So there's also the the whole trade in animals and how they are handled within the city. That that it's is also involved. In, the, in this. Uh, but another part of the city that is usually not very uh, visible, but you can find in, uh, in court records, is the negotiation uh, of health and nuisance by neighbors. And that's because when cases escalate, uh, for instance, uh, about shared hygienic infrastructures, which were very common, so people usually shared... Uh, a well for fresh water, uh, but also latrines or cesspits, um, and that usually went well. And um, but sometimes when a new homeowner arrived or otherwise changes were made, um, also to houses, you see that the tensions <laughs> can uh, really escalate, and sometimes you find them uh, before the urban courts. So here you, uh, this is a sort of entrance to see how hygiene was negotiated at the very micro, local or domestic level. And it's clear that people really cared. So there's very, they're very eager to secure, uh, to avoid stench and also deterioration of their homes uh, and to have access to fresh water and to waste, uh, uh, or to means of disposing their waste.
0: And this connects nicely to my mm-hmm. next question. <clears throat> Excuse me. About uh, social hist- uh, about the social history you do in these court archives, um, and, and I'd like you to expand more about the centrality of the court archives uh, to your study and how you sifted them for evidence related to hygiene and health. Yes. Uh, and in particular, there there is also this class element that you bring up that you know that this is probably. Due due to access, it's probably not uh, uh, a good uh, idea about the entirety of society, but it gives yeah. us a view into uh, into a number of court case or uh, court cases and um, and situations uh, from uh, various levels of society. Uh, could you speak more about the court documents as a source and what type of narratives they offer to you, as you've already uh, yeah. discussed briefly?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks. Because I think yeah, I think that's one of the, the at least the nicest uh, uh, things that I uh, or I really enjoyed researching these court narrative. Although it was quite hard to find cases, so it was also quite uh, uh, labor intensive. Uh, but yeah, because when you start uh, researching health, and you you usually find regulations, So these are issued by the governing elite. Uh, so, and that gives you two challenges or problems. First, uh, their rules, so you you know very little about their enforcement or about practices. And second, it's a very elite perspective. And as you uh, as or I uh, uh, increasingly uh, discovered, it's also quite a narrow spatial focus. So these elites are very interested in in the flows, uh, so to speak, of uh, a specific sort of a spatial network um, of keynotes in the city. Uh, and that leaves a lot of the city and many uh, uh, parts or uh, or many social groups largely outside your uh, vision. So, and if you go to uh, court records, um, there there are two types. So generally, uh, criminal records. So uh, these are investigations instigated by governments. And but there's also from very early on in huge volumes um, what we now call civic litigation. So just people having a conflict with each other and going to either a notary or a urban court to put into writing uh, either their their fight or their conflict or sometimes also um, a solution. And if you sift through these type of civic court records, you find arguably not the lowest uh, levels of society because it did cost something to to initiate a court case. Actually, that's one of the things that people use as now to pressure their uh, neighbors, for instance, into action. So a lot of times you don't really see what happens in the end. You just see the initiation of a a case. Uh, But arguably, there's a lot of what you say, like, middle class and more, yeah, normal kinds of uh, residents that are active. Um, and therefore, you can see what these type of people, uh, yeah, h- how their environment looks like. And for me, it was interesting to see that they did have all kinds of um, hygienic infrastructures. We also thought really carefully about light in their house, about... Or, for instance, complained about the chimney of the neighbor being too low and therefore uh, they suffered more air pollution than necessary. So there's quite a few issues that relate to health that you can reconstruct based on these type of sources. Uh, And also, uh, for instance, quite a few women uh, are also very active, such as widows who then have these uh, tasks as head of households uh, who also come to these courts. So it's quite varied and interesting to see.
0: Oh, agreed. Uh, and I was very excited to see uh, see them and read them. Mm-hmm. Um, now turning to uh, probably one of the more important medical issues of the medieval period is yeah. plague. Yeah. Um, you write that we should study responses to plague in the broader context of ongoing preventive uh, health practices, challenges, and not solely at points of crisis or through the elites of the era. Essentially, a top-down approach to studying plague. Yeah. Instead, it should be, as you say, decentralized. Could you expand on this point? But also, could you speak some on studying plague through the frames of biopolitical, environmental, and civic?
1: Yeah, yeah 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 Yeah, so so there's plague is it's a huge research field and um uh but actually the so and that research field uh has been (coughs) excuse me very um advancing in the past decades because of new techniques so we know much more about the actual uh, bacteria or the stranger bacteria that causes plague so uh so this is very active but um what i found that was at least for the region that i'm studying quite lacking is is sort of more up-to-date ideas about uh the social political responses to plague and indeed as you mentioned so to to move away from uh just these sort of elite interventions and to really look at plague um measures or, or or um uh, what people did to to avoid the spread of plague, uh, uh, can be put in a context of much more routine care for the environment and for sanitation and hygiene. And this is a point that's been uh, fairly much overlooked uh, because people uh, initially assumed that public health started, and this is a point Guy Gildner has also made for Italy, uh, people usually assume that public health started after Black Death, so it started at the moment when uh, a terrible uh, epidemic hit. But it's very clear that before, even before that, and afterwards, uh, outside context of epidemic, uh, sort of care for public health was was present in um, urban governance and politics. So in that sense. Um, Integrating plague into biopolitics means integrating uh, uh, this specific threat or health risk in a broader um, political uh, landscape or social political landscape uh, that mitigates um, health risks. No, exactly,
0: and um, so. What you're doing is countering this narrative and what other scholars have done as well, um, plague scholars, is countering this narrative as the plague as a watershed moment yes. right yes and yeah. that, that that there was no public health initiative in these urban environments and it was a moment of crises that forced yeah. them into action yeah they which woke, is
1: they woke everyone up whereas before right. they were they were sleeping yeah yeah so that's the that was the main uh, yeah correct
0: right and so your and your work works into this Larger discussion of urban health, that like I got there other scholars like Nuket Varlik and the yeah. Ottoman Empire yeah. have discussed, and like the the development of public health policies prior to um, these epidemics. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's fascinating to see the trajectory uh in your text about uh the growth of public health and um its uh socio-medical uh aspects to it. Yeah. Uh which you do really well here.
1: Thanks. Yeah. It yeah it is and it's for me also because initially my PhD didn't have a chapter on the plague um uh, at all. And, but I was as I was writing the book version um, during uh, so in 2020, uh, it just occurred to me that it was quite necessary to reflect on plague uh, separately in a, in a chapter or um, and I do still uh, think that I, I just see beyond quarantine, which is a very obvious example of a measure that is both, Uh, at the moment being used and was used in a highly similar way uh, in the late medieval period. There's just so much um, uh, things that you can learn or are very insightful when we just uh, think about the fact that to fight an epidemic, uh, the medical or uh, scientific ideas are really relatively small Component of a much broader biopolitical effort that has to be made, and here uh, the relation between um, state and its subjects, between uh, environment and, and sort of flows or spatial politics, is so important. And I think we can see it at the moment, and it's uh, that's very much true also when we have when we're studying uh, epidemics of the past.
0: For sure. I agree 100%. Uh, if I may track back a bit uh, to how the research came together, could you discuss the various sources you used and the archives that made this uh, text possible?
1: Uh, yeah, so I uh, tried to uh, combine uh, a few things. So um, I didn't want to sort of cherry-picking a little bit of everything kind of uh, uh, study. Um but I also, because it's the first comparative study for this region on this topic, I also didn't want to restrict myself to, uh, say, two case studies and and therefore not be allowed to include uh, other things I found for other cities as well. So what I did is a sort of uh, core satellite construction. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, which means that I have selected three. Uh, cities in which I have done in depth archival uh, research, and I combined that with uh, what else was available uh, uh, easily for other cities. So, if they had a nice published series of, say, accounts or court records, I, I took a look at those and try and see if I try. Um, if I could uh, incorporate some of that evidence as well. But so for these three case studies and the archival work there, uh, for each of them, there was a combination of, of rules, of court records, as I mentioned earlier, and of um, a financial administration. So I don't know if it's very typically... Dutch, uh, but these cities were very meticulous in administrating their income and their expenses. So there's, it sounds very, uh, sounds a bit boring, but uh, because it's just very dry lists of things, but you can get so much info, practical information out of these financial records, um, on public works, on the hiring of officials, um, on on sort of a miscellaneous expenses, uh, that. That is very interesting to compare that with what you know uh, is the ideal in regulations. So, and that is sort of combining uh, these sort of layer of types of of knowledge for each city and then comparing the cities um, was sort of, that was sort of the general idea.
0: That (laughs) That was very fascinating. And the comparative here worked really nicely. Uh, between the three uh, cities, they say they both—they all three have different population uh, numbers and have growth uh, at different times uh, than uh, other uh, than one another. Uh, so they they gave a good window into uh, late medieval Low Countries. Um, the so to conclude, um, if I may ask you, uh, what are you working on, Yana? Um,
1: so at the moment. Uh, I'm working on a few things. So uh, together with Lea Hermenot as part of the Healthscaping Project, I am um, mapping uh, public works. So <laughs> we just, um, we try to really see what spatial impact or environmental impacts investments in, uh, in all kinds of, of, of material structures and infrastructures in the city um, had, uh, so that's a sort of an article project. And recently, I've been awarded with a research grant for uh, a larger project, which is on the fire and fire prevention. And that really comes directly out of, out of this research because when going through all this archival evidence, one thing that kept coming up in, in, in large amounts <laughs> uh, were uh, sources about fire uh, risks and uh, regulations, as well as all kinds of subsidies, for instance, for fire safe building. So, um, and the risk of fire seems to have been sort of forgotten a bit because uh, it is now not such an environmental threat in, say, your modern American cities. But the way this risk is mitigated um, in society, I think, has very interesting parallels with the energy transition or the climate crisis that we are uh, currently experiencing. In terms of um, who is able to to affect change, uh, a change that everyone recognizes is is good or necessary, but it's very costly and very hard to realize. So. So it is uh, still about well-being, but on this very sp- specific topic.
0: Very fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to uh, see your uh, your next work, and looking out for both both of those uh, works, uh, especially one on fire, uh, sounds uh, fascinating because it does offer a good lens into urban regulations, health, uh, hygiene, uh, and materiality of yeah. the built environment. So. Yeah
1: and maybe also uh disasters uh, and because i've been also more and more in because disaster studies is as you may know is an environmental uh uh is, environmental scholarship is is a major um a field uh but i like to approach it from this more sort of routine or the the more uh continuous care for for urban environments i think there's there's a very sort of interesting um uh connection there
0: definitely uh, Jana it was a pleasure, um, I thank you for spending time uh, with myself and the listeners discussing your text, community, urban health and environment in late medieval low countries, uh, it was a pleasure learning more about your work and your research and how uh, it was uh, made.
1: Thank you, and thank you for having me and for reading the book so carefully, it's was, it was been a real pleasure.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, pleasure was all mine, my... thank you Yana.